We all have our heroes. I play music, so I've got musical heroes, bands that I love, bands that have influenced our sound. But above all that, there are also people out there that have influenced and inspired me as a person, how I conduct myself, how we do business, how our band does business behind the scenes. Some of these people are in music. Ian Mackay of the Teen Idols, Minor Threat, Embrace, Egg Hunt, Fugazi, The Evens, and owner of Discord Records is one of these people. Minor Threat was a huge influence on me growing up. I remember in high school, a classmate of mine had a cassette tape of Minor Threat on one side and Seven Seconds on the other. We weren't even really friends, but he lent it to me and it pretty much changed my life. Seven Seconds was a great band that now, when I listen to them, takes me back to a time when I was 15. But Minor Threat was something different. The rage that exploded from my speakers, the tiny speakers from my blaster in my room, really, really hit home. What was interesting about Minor Threat wasn't just the music, but when I listened closer, I couldn't believe what was being sung. Lyrics about not doing drugs. Lyrics about not drinking alcohol. It flew in the face of all that I had been told that bands were supposed to do to uphold be it punk rock, hard rock, or heavy metal. This Dionysian lifestyle that a lot of people still think needs to be maintained and almost championed in rock and roll, even at their own expense in the music biz, back when I was 15, already seemed outdated and cliched. Here was a band that was defiant against all pressure, that truly fought against convention, and it was, to me, the true essence of punk rock. It was beautiful. I lived with the Minor Threat discography playing in my headphones on heavy rotation from the time I was 15 to 18. There was no way at such an impressionable age that I wouldn't come out of that phase unaffected. The results have stayed with me to this day, although there have been the occasional lapse from time to time. I credit Minor Threat along with Black Flag and the Bad Brains for really changing my life for the better during my high school years. I never saw music the same after these three bands. In 2004, I was asked to speak at the Crossing Borders Festival at The Hague in Holland. It was an indoor spoken word festival where patrons could slip easily from room to room in this building and listen in on various speakers. I think Deus, Jim, White, Lamb Chop, and... Rufus Wainwright were the only musical acts on the bill. I spoke alongside Nick Hornby, Irvine Welsh, Michael Franti, and Ian Mackay. I just want to sidebar here and state that this kind of festival could and would never happen in Canada. I can almost assure you of that. And even if it did, it wouldn't have come close to the lineup that the Crossing Borders Festival had assembled back in 2004. Anyways... When I saw Ian's name on the bill, of course the thought ran through me. Was I going to meet him? When I woke up to go for breakfast the morning of the show, there he was in the elevator staring right across from me. I introduced myself and we found out quickly that we had mutual friends in Washington, D.C. And we struck up a conversation that lasted all throughout breakfast. Yes, We spent almost an hour just shooting the shit, and it remains in my top three moments of being in this band. I don't know if I've ever said this story publicly, but 
there you go. I've definitely told all my friends back home. That night, I watched Ian speak, and when it was my turn, I saw Ian at the back of the room smiling. And I can't tell you how how nervous and at the same time overjoyed it made me. I was doing a radio show at the time called The Magical World of Rock. And I was doing these singers clinics, which were basically interviews with singers in all kinds of bands, from Jeff Tweedy of Wilco to David Johansson of the New York Dolls to Dave Windorf of Monster Magnet. Anyone that kind of cross we crossed paths with on the road. And we would sit and we would talk about singing techniques, trade tips, anecdotes, etc., etc. So I asked Ian that night if we could do one together. Of course, we didn't have time because we were both speaking, but he gave me his number that he jotted down in pencil on a boarding pass, and I still have that boarding pass. It took me around eight months to muster up the nerve to call him. A few days after I did, I was sitting in my apartment in Toronto in the middle of a heat wave. I had no air conditioning, so I was in my underwear trying to be as still as possible in order not to sweat. For as cold as it gets up here in Toronto, Canada, that's how hot it gets in Toronto too. So the phone rang, and when I picked it up and said hello, the voice on the other end said, this is Ian Mackay from Washington, D.C. My heart stopped, and everything, the way I remember it, went into slow motion. I explained to Ian about the radio show and the singer's clinic, and he agreed to do an interview right on the spot. You have to remember now that this is 2005. No Yeti blue mics, no Yeti blue mic microphones, no iPod apps, no iPad apps, just me and Ian, and what what seems so archaic now, but a mini disc player. The volume may be low. In fact, the volume is low, especially on Ian's end of it. Ian's a little distant, but I think the essence of our talk is captured. Plus, it's Ian Mackay, so I'll take whatever I can get. I never ended up using this for my radio show, but knew, because basically I, very soon after I did this interview, I, I stopped doing the, uh, the show. I, I just couldn't, couldn't take the workload. So I never ended up using the, the interview, but I knew that one day, somehow, somewhere, it would eventually see the light of day. So here it is. Remember, I am completely unprepared for this interview. He just called me. I, I wasn't sitting by the phone waiting with a list of questions to ask Ian Mackay whether or not he would call. So I remember putting down the phone, putting him on hold, and just running to the other room trying to find that mini damn mini disc recorder. So anyways, as I was talking to him, because of the heat wave a lack of air conditioning, the sweat, the sweat, and and coupled with my nervousness were beating up on my forehead and dropping on the telephone as, as we spoke. In the end, Ian didn't let me down. And much like podcast episode number 28 with Henry Rollins, this one is a very, very, very nervous me talking to a person who has played such a huge part in my life whether he knows it or not, and he doesn't know it. So there you go. I hope you enjoy it. It's a seven and a half year old interview. So be patient, forgiving, and listen closely because Ian Mackay is on the official Danko Jones podcast and it starts now.
everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Magical World of Rock. And I'm doing it on the phone with me from D.C.? That's correct. Washington, D.C. Is Mr. Ian Mackay. Ian, how are you doing today? I'm well. Thank you for asking. Well, um, it's great that I can grab you on the phone. I know you're a super busy guy. Everybody knows the evens are, are up and happening, and you've got Discord records to take care of. Um, so thanks a lot for just taking time out and talking to me about singing. No problem. I now, speak about it. Um, there's a few things, because basically why I'm doing these clinics is there's really no, like, guitar player magazine or drum magazine for singers. And, you know, people just usually, when they start a rock band, they just get up and they wing it. And sometimes that can really hurt someone's voice. So me, you know, I'm unschooled. And I kept going on tour, meeting up with bands, and asking them, you know, what do you do? And and so um, I got uh, so many different things. So that's, that's why I decided to, to start up these clinics. Mm -hmm. And so my first question would be, um, how do you warm up in the studio and on the road? I actually don't warm up. Um, I don't, certainly don't have any regular practice. If I'm feeling a little bit sort of tight in my throat or something, I might hum or something. You know, but generally speaking, I just drink an enormous amount of water. And I think that's the thing that most people uh, don't really think about. They don't think, they don't think about really the amount of hydration. Like, it's basically lubricant for the throat. So if you, sometimes people, is, you know, they'll drink a soda or a beer or something on stage, and it's just not, it's not the, really the most appropriate thing to be putting into your, into your, into your instrument at that moment, you know. Um, you know, water, on the other hand, is something that is just, it's, you know, it just uh, can be a, the fluid actually really lubricates and, you know, does does the job. So I'll drink on tour, so now, you know, I usually drink at least a liter or two liters of water a day, you know, on the road. If we're, if we're driving, if I'm just driving, I'll just have a water with me to drink all day. Just, um, this also has to do with the fact that Say, for instance, with Fugazi, that it was there was so much exertion that you're also sweating. So if you're in a band that you're doing a lot of sweating and singing, you're just that's a lot of fluid going out, and it's important to have a lot of fluid in there to begin with. But I, years ago, I you know I had problems. When I first started singing, I'm definitely not trained or schooled, um, and there are those who would say I'm not a singer. Um, on the other hand, you know I've been singing music, singing, playing and singing songs for 25 years. Yeah. And uh, in my threat, you know, I just went for it every time. Uh, in the beginning, just playing those shows, uh, you just, you know, it was like life or death, you know. You're like, that was, we always, you know, our idea was you always played as if it was your last time. Right. And you just went all the way. And quite often, it would just blow my voice out. I even had an experience. <clears throat> I remember my threat opening for the Circle Jerks, um, in 1980, I imagine 82, um, maybe 81 even, that's 81, and I remember that we got there for sound check, and they had sound checked, and then we set up, and a couple of the Circle Dirt guys were in, you know, it was at the 930 Club in D.C., and they were sort of standing there, and I really wanted to blow them away, so we were doing the song Screaming at a Wall, um, and I was just laying into it so hard, but I hadn't even... Like, it hadn't been any, I hadn't done anything. I hadn't done any warm-ups or anything. I just started yelling. And I actually heard a pop 
in my throat and my voice disappeared entirely. Instantly? Instantly. It wasn't it wasn't like it went hoarse, it just disappeared. I lost my voice in the truest sense of the word. It just disappeared. And I ended up I mean and I had no voice at all. I couldn't make a sound. I could, you know, push air out and whisper and like make a I could use air to whisper and that's about it. And um, there was a bit of a freak out because we were you know, it was a big deal, it was a big show for us and and um, and we were and everyone was like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? And I, I remember all before the show, everyone kept bringing me, like, drink honey, drink honey and lemon, drink hot hunt tea with honey and lemon, drink this, drink that. And everyone had all these different ideas. And I was just throwing everything down my throat trying to trying to get a voice. Um, meanwhile, I was just, I had gone up and got a stack of old flyers and was writing out all the lyrics in big, bold, black um, letters. Uh, so then when we played, I still had no voice, but I just hung, held up the, the flyers and had the whole crowd sing. Um, that was a really, a, that was the only time my voice disappeared like that. Um, however, uh, I lost my voice a number of times in my throat, usually just going hoarse. The first time we tour, when you tour, you realize, oh, you can't play every show like it's the last one because you have a show the next day. Yeah. So you, instead, you kind of shift your perspective and you think, all right, well, I'm going to do this tour like it's the last one. So you have to, there's a bit of a measure, you have to measure out a little bit, but I wouldn't say that it's sort of like, you know, you still, you go for it, but you just have to think in terms of like the long distance runner. And um, the, uh, by the time I got to Fugazi, I think I was pretty aware of, of that. And I had learned, I think just naturally had learned about singing from sort of the stomach, you know, as opposed from the throat, which I don't, again, is something that it's very hard to explain. Maybe a speech pathologist could do it or a singing coach or something like that might be able to explain it, but I can't really explain what I mean by that. It's like you sing from a lower point in your in your chest, and I found that really relieves the tension on the throat. Um, if you're singing always from your throat, if you're using your throat to make all the sound, then it's sort of... It's and it, it becomes like it's too much stress. And that's why you just blow your you know you just blow your voice. Yeah. Um, I had an interesting thing with Fugazi because we toured so much and almost every tour we ever did, I would lose my voice in the third show, and then by the fourth or fifth show it would come back and I'd be like 85 percent for the rest of the tour, never lose it again. I started 100 percent. I'd go to like 10 percent and then go back up to about 85 percent. But I'd never, I'd always lose the upper registers. But the thing about those bands, um, say a band like Fugazi, is that we were loud. And, you know, singing over a band that loud is, uh, you know, it's challenging. So with a band like The Evens, I just haven't really had the same kind of problems because we're not that loud and it's a different kind of singing. Right. But in terms of warm-ups or anything like that, nope, just drink water. And, um, I mean, especially some of the shows that you've played, even in Fugazi, um, Sometimes they don't have monitors. Right. Well, my Fugazi, we were pretty good. We went out and bought our own damn monitors because you just couldn't trust the monitor people. Yeah. Um, it's definitely the case with minor threat. I mean, <laughs> monitors, you'd be surprised if you had monitors. Um, actually, we did a show in Sacramento once where the PA person had, he had repeatedly threatened us with um, not letting us use his PA. 
because he was he was very angry about hardcore punk bands at the time, and he was just also he was a jerk PA person, and he was kept threatening. He kept saying like, "Well, if you want to use a PA, that's the way it's going to be." That kind of you know, he you know he he had these giant curtains hanging over the PA boxes, so you like there was it was because he didn't want anyone to throw anything into his PA, and so it just muffled the sound, and you know he wanted to turn the amps inside, you know, towards the middle of the stage, so he would have to compete with it. And he kept saying, "Well, if you want to use a PA, that's the way we're going to do it." Yeah. So he kept saying this over and over. So then when we went on, we were headlining. We had about six or 700 people at the show. So when it was, our, it was our turn to play, and I had been watching him just savage people, all the bands, he was so rude to them. So when it was our turn to play, I went up to him and I said, get your PA off the stage. And he said, <laughs> he said what do you mean? I said, I mean, all day you've been threatening us, saying that you're not going to let us use our PA. But I'm here to tell you that we're not going to use your fucking PA. <laughs> so you can get your PA off the stage. Get it off the stage now. I said, we're paying you. You're getting paid by us. And we're going to pay you, but get your PA off the stage. And he flipped because he could not believe that the tables had been turned on him. Right. Um, and he kept saying, oh, man, you should definitely use the PA. I said, I'm not using your PA. No, it's not going to happen. So after much, like, there's a big, everyone was freaking out about it, but I made him take, he didn't want to load out his actual boxes, all the, the actual cabinets, but I let him, I let him go by making him take all the microphones, microphone stands, all the cables, everything like that had to be off the stage. And then we did the show, I did the show with no mic. <laughs> wow. And it was a show that I actually... Every once in a while, someone comes to me and say, "Man, I saw you in Sacramento in 1983. Man, that was weak, dude. You wouldn't use the PA. We couldn't hear you." And I said, "Well, first off, you knew I was singing. Second off, I said many, many, many people saw Minor Threat with a PA. Only a handful saw us without." It. I said, "Consider yourself." <laughs> oh, that's a great story, man. Now, what happened the next day? When no, right. you were okay. Yeah. At that point, I was I just ra- I was raging every night. It didn't make a difference with my threat. You know. It, yeah. I just go for it. Right. It didn't make a difference. Those shows were so such a different had such a different kind of emphasis. I mean, at that point, you had to remember that you know it was not uncommon to have someone run, jump up on stage from the crowd and attack me. You know, like, it was like those kind of shows in, yeah. in the '80s was much more. Those early '80s shows was. A lot of violent. Or wilding. Yeah. Um, now, you've mentioned water and stuff, but a lot, a lot of singers I ask about diet. And, and is there anything beyond the water? Like sometimes singer tell, singers tell me, like, no dairy. Um, obviously no smoking. Um, you know, stuff like that. Is there anything other than water that you follow? Yeah, of course. But, I mean, I, I don't know if it's necessarily... I mean, there's nothing to do with my voice, so... Like, in other words, like... I mean, I tell you the water... Well, first of all, water is... Come on. Yeah, definitely. Of, you know, there's four things in life we need. Yeah. Air, water, food, and for... Just for procreation, you got to have sex. You know, those are the those are the four mandatories. So, water is just no joke. So, in terms of singing, I would tell you, yeah, of course, you know, you got to... You gotta, you know, drink water. But you have to drink water to stay alive. Um, but generally speaking, um, I think of those four things all enormously important. In fact, 
the most important. So, um, obviously, even with, say, diet or anything else, anything else, I take it seriously. Yeah. I would take it really seriously. I mean, I, mean, I personally, I don't eat any dairy. So, I would, of course, inc- I, you know, but I have a, I think anybody who has any kind of nasal issues, like in terms of sinus or congest, if they're easily congested, they ought to just stop taking dairy. It'll make a huge difference. At least it did in my life. Yeah. I personally, you know, I had a lot of problems with congestion as a kid. Um, I have a deviated septum, which means that the septum, which is the little piece of cartilage that's in your nose, is sort of kicked off to one side. So I don't get the same amount of air through both nostrils. In fact, one nostril often is kind of sh- kind of shut because of it. <laughs> so because, but you know, I and because of that, it was quasi. I, you know, quite often, I would become could become congested. Um, but about, I don't know, I think I stopped eating dairy about 18 years ago now. And I don't ever have a stuffed nose, ever. ever. Right. But, I mean, so do I think it affects singing? Sure. But I didn't do it for necessarily for my singing voice. Right. I've never been a singing clinic before. This is my first. <laughs> Um, another another uh, uh, topic on, on, on singing I'd like to uh, address with, with singers is, is the mental aspect of singing and how if you're not in the right frame of mind, the right you know mental attitude or something's bugging you, it can really affect your performance and of course your voice. Do you, do you, do you, um, do you agree? Sure, but I believe in playing as you are. It's not a, it's not for me it's not it's not a, it's not entertainment you know it's not an entertainment form. So if you're a singer and you mean it, and I hope singers do mean it, then you sing as you are. And if you're stressed or tired, if you're angry, if you're happy, if you're relaxed, whatever you are, then you sing and you put your heart in there. And that's that's what comes out on the other side is the manifestation of, of the humanity of it, like who you are. And I don't I don't I'm not too interested in the idea of like putting out a rather like suitable performance every night that's just like really kind of an equal show every night. In fact, it's the it's the differences that make yeah. it interesting. Yeah. It's the flaws that make it real. Right. Um, so, um, you know, in terms of that kind of thing, psychologically, all I'd ever say is, you know, mean it. I don't care what you're singing about, but mean it. Ian, what can we expect uh, from the evens and maybe Fugazi and, and basically Discord in the next few months? Not a damn thing at the moment. We had nothing on the boat. No, <laughs> it's quiet over here right now. We don't have... And the evens are... Amy and I are playing. We just got back from a tour down the, through the south. We had a really nice trip and um, some really interesting shows. Played in a parking lot in Jacksonville, ten, uh, Jacksonville Florida and we played in a kind of a vacant lot between an old building and a burned down building in Birmingham, Alabama. That was really beautiful and uh, had some really interesting spots to play and really nice people. Um, we're going to hope, hopefully do some shows this summer. We haven't booked anything yet, which is not unusual for us because because we're so self-contained. We have our own PA and we do it all ourselves. We can pretty much set up anywhere, so we don't really need to get in like, we don't have to get in line. It's not like Chicago's O'Hare you know, Airport, you know, where you have to sit, like, you know, arrange months ahead to get in the queue to land. Um, that's what the rock world is, you know, like, you know, yeah. so many clubs, so many bands, and 
so, just so many clubs, so you end up ever those. So generally, those clubs are booked months out, but we usually can just go. And also, we only play at eight o'clock. We play at rush shows, so we don't really come. We don't fool anybody. Um, we're gonna try to go to Japan in September. Well, actually, we are going to Japan in September, and we're trying to go to Europe in October. But um, that's it. And Fugazi's just on the break. We're not. Nothing's happening. Right. Discord is quiet, but at the moment, we don't have anything planned releases but we'll see what uh, the future brings well ian thanks a lot for stepping into the singers clinic with me this week man sure thank you appreciate it very much no problems uh -huh.